We're going to watch a little video clip here. It's from a movie. It's a movie about three sea captains who retire and they try to live on their own and they find they just really can't. So they decide they need a housekeeper but they can't afford one. So they put an ad in for a wife and they flip coins and the losing guy has to get married. So uh, it'll give you an idea and it's kind of a funny, cute little movie. But in it, what they get is not what they thought because they get this really perfect woman. The woman that is exactly what they need, who's been through in her life some terrible things and just recently her husband has died and, and many times in that, in that time period in many of those cases that drained all of their finances. So she literally has no money and she has no means and yet she has this disposition which is, doesn't make sense. She has joy in the midst of all of these troubles and so in this scene one of the sea captains is explaining to the young man why is this woman have such a good disposition in the face of all this. I just stopped by your house to inquire on Captain Bartlett. Mrs. Snow seems to have things quite in hand. Mm. It seems as though trouble doesn't trouble her at all. I judge she's seen enough of it, too. It's queer how uh, how trouble acts on folks. Sort of like hot weather. It spoils milk, but it just sweetens apples. She's one of the sweetened kind. Ah. Good afternoon, Melissa. Well, hello, Captain. What a spectacular afternoon. She's the sweetening kind. She's you can you can get in hot weather with the sun shining. You can put your milk out, and it's gonna. Smell terrible after a little while. <laughs> but you can watch an apple on the tree get sweet. It makes it better. The same thing can make people better. We want to know, are, are, we, are we like milk in hot weather? <laughs> are we like apples? Does trouble make you bitter or does it make you better? I'm going to read something for you. I just want you to hear it. We're not going to put it on the screen this time. Where Jesus talks about trouble and joy. Uh, Words like sorrow, lament, weep. He uses all those words. Trouble. But he also keeps saying joy and rejoice. So I want you to listen to how he puts those two against each other. I'll, I'll just read it for you. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament. But the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful. But your sorrow will turn to joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also, you have sorrow now. But I will see you again. And your hearts will rejoice. And no one will take your joy from you. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. We'll come back to these verses in a moment. 
But did you hear how often Jesus said joy and rejoice? Okay. It's pretty easy to understand rejoicing when Jesus was walking the earth right there next to you. Right? <laughs> you know, he's, he's standing right there. Uh, John the Baptist is the perfect example of that. He says to some people, you yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. That's Jesus. The friend of the bridegroom, that's John, who stands and hears him, rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. John was completely joyful. Why? Because he could hear Jesus' voice. That's it. He just wanted to hear Jesus' voice, and it was enough. And being near Jesus, that ought to bring us joy, shouldn't it? I mean, if we're truly his friends. And even Abraham, at the time Jesus was on the earth, even Abraham, already in heaven then, rejoiced in seeing him. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. A lot of people questioned him about that one. Abraham is dead. How can he rejoice? No, he's not dead. He just isn't here. And they kind of didn't understand it. So the disciples who walked with Jesus... They got it, right? They must have rejoiced. They must have felt that joy. Can you imagine just walking with Jesus and listening to him talk? Wow! I mean, knowing that Jesus is there to care for you. And, and by the way, he is here to care for you, so in case you were wondering. But earlier, when Jesus was talking to those disciples in what's called the Upper Room Discourse, Jesus said to them, These things I have spoken to you that your joy may be, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. How do you get completely joyful? Oh, wait. That my joy might be in you, Jesus said. Let's keep looking at this. And, and it's no wonder the, re, the disciples rejoiced to hear him. I mean, he's the person of the Son, God in human form, and he's standing there right in front of them. <laughs> Ah, and Jesus is the source of joy. So so then why does he make this enigmatic statement? You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father. How could they rejoice when their source of joy was about to be taken away? And why? You know, why? Why must they leave? Why must they trouble? Why is there trouble? Let's read those verses Together here, truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you will have sorrow now, but I will see you again. And your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. In that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you've asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. What's this connection with joy and sorrow? Is sorrow the sun and joy is the sweetening of the apple? There may be more than that to it. Sorrow, suffering... Trouble is not the source of joy. We know that 
that the joy that Jesus has, that, that he has, is what makes it possible for us to have full joy. And the joy that Jesus has is shared by the Father and the Spirit. And when the Spirit then indwells us, we naturally have it too, right? But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. One outworking of the Spirit's indwelling us is joy. But you kind of wonder, is this an order? I mean, does joy naturally follow love? And is peace an outgrowth of those? And can we then have patience which will allow us to be kind and good in nature and faithful with gentleness, all of which allows us to exhibit self-control? Is that, is that how that works? Or is love the overarching principle and then joy and all the others are outgrowths of love. Is that, that way, that's the way it is. And by the way, remember the biblical definition of love is not feelings. <laughs> the biblical definition of love is the right things you do for people. From which grow feelings, of course. But that's, that's what we're saying. Is love, that, that doing of the good things we're to do, does that produce joy in all the others? Is that how that works? Or maybe it's just, this whole statement is really just an expression of who God is, the nature of God. Maybe that's what that is. So I'll give you an answer, but just not today, because that's not part of our talk. So we're going to go on to something else. Uh, So we're not really asking why some people are like apples that grow sweeter in the sun. We're not asking that question. We're not wondering why some people turn to sour milk. and some. That's not the point here. We want to know how trouble, sorrow and suffering, can possibly result in sweetness at all. How, do, how, how can this be? And I think the writer to the Hebrews will start us on our little journey today pretty well. Now, he's writing to the, to the Jewish people of his time, the Hebrews, to help explain to them how Jesus fits into their understanding of God and their, their knowledge of scriptures. And he writes this long thing about a number of Old Testament people who had great faith. People today call it the Hall of Fame of Faith. I mean, just this tremendous thing. All of them, by the way, had significant trouble, sorrow. All of them that he lists. By the way, there's there's exactly one woman in that list. <laughs> we did an interesting study of her, one of, one of our midweek soul food, we used to call it, our Bible study the middle week so someday you might want to look into that. But Anyway, the writer of the Hebrew lists those whole group of people and all the things they went through and how that worked out to joy. And then, he, and then he mentions, then he tells us why he mentions them. He says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus, in human form, is sitting at the right hand of the throne of God. He is in the position of authority over everything. In his human form, of course, it is divine form. But the point here is that Jesus could endure the suffering because he knew the joy that would follow. 
In fact, he could actually despise the shame and the suffering. And certainly, I mean, we should follow his example. Peter said, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. What did you think was going to happen? That's what he's saying. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. But is this all there is to it? And I mean, let's not misunderstand. Let's not. Imitating Jesus, imitating Christ, that's always enough. That's enough reason right there. Just do it because he did it. You're okay. You don't need any more than that. But I think God had more in mind than that. I don't think he'd let us go through trouble if it was not good for us. In other words, that there are benefits to going through trouble. Now, the simplest benefit, Paul points out to the Corinthian church. By the way, the Corinthian church is the one with the trouble, and so he's bringing this illustration of the other churches in so they can understand the right things. So maybe we're more like the Corinthians, maybe we're more like the other ones. Well, you can decide. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity in their part. For they gave according to their means, as, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord. The joy with their extreme poverty went together, and the Macedonians were able to give this gift that they were giving to the church in Jerusalem, which was in severe trouble due to droughts. There's a lot of history if you ever want to study it. And Paul uses them as a, an example to the Corinthian church, saying, come on guys, look, this is joy. They gave when it was tough. Because, you know, you know that truth? The more something's worth, the more it costs. <laughs> you get what you pay for. It's just the truth. But the more you pay for something, the more valuable it is to you. Hmm. Sacrificial giving, like the Macedonian churches did, giving out of their trouble, results in joy. And much greater joy than, than easy giving ever could have. I mean, if they were rich and they'd give you a deal. But they were poor. Well, side, since I don't have all my notes, I can do more side notes. You may, you may regret me not writing out my sermons all the way in the future. But anyway, <laughs> time being what it is. Mother Teresa one time, who had a lot of theological issues, yes, but she really did believe and she really tried to serve God. And she had a man come to her one time. And by the way, she had a room with a bed and a table and a chair and a lamp. That was it. That was where she lived. And so she would sit at her little table and somebody would come in there, bring a chair in for people who wanted to meet with her. And this rich businessman came in and like many Roman Catholics, he figured he needed to buy his salvation, I guess. So he came in and he sat down a briefcase and opened it up and said, I brought this to you. And she says, thank you, but no thank you. An entire briefcase full of cash. Thank you, but no thank you. And she sent him on his way. And he was like, why, why aren't you taking this? And she said, it didn't cost you anything. And there's no point in my taking a gift that doesn't cost you anything because it doesn't do you any good. <laughs> and she did. She never took the money. She got it right. That was She was right in that. It didn't cost him anything. He wasn't doing it for the right reasons. He, and he wouldn't have gotten anything for it. It's, you know, And giving is more than money. 
give yourself your time, your care. But giving, the truth is though, but giving in the midst of trouble isn't quite the same as benefiting from suffering and sorrow. Uh, in other words, we want to say it this way. We need to know, is there actually a good grief? <laughs> you know, Charlie Brown, good grief. Is there actually a good grief? Well, let's, let's read another letter that Paul wrote to the Corinthians. I'll, I'll explain a little ahead of time. Paul apparently wrote a series of letters to the Corinthian church. They needed it. <laughs> How can we say this any better? And in one of them, he pressed them really hard because they were doing wrong. And he pressed them pretty hard on it. And so he says this, For even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it, for I see that the letter grieved you, though only for a while. As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. See what he's saying here? There really is a good grief. <laughs> well, okay, well, there's, there's godly grief that produces good. Should we say it that way? That's probably better. Godly grieving will lead us to repentance. And we should rejoice when someone suffers godly grief. <clears throat> Especially if it's us. <laughs> you know, remember last week John's statement, pray for people who commit a sin not leading to death, but don't even think about praying for somebody that's committing a sin leading unto death. Don't pray for life for them. I wonder if this is related to that. I'll just leave you with that too. I didn't explain that scripture last time either. So, I'm, I'm, yeah. But it's great that we can be brought to repentance by trouble. By the sun beating down on us. By the hot. All of a sudden we realize we kind of stink like curdled milk. Maybe we need it. So it's a good thing. We can have joy from that. But what about when we're doing right and we suffer? And the Scripture has a lot to say about this. But let's join James and wonder, can we count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds? For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Perfect and complete. Ah. <sighs> Not yet, but I do want to be steadfast in my faith. So, so I'm glad for the trials. I can rejoice in the trials, yes? And, of course, we want to be perfect. So, yes, we're, we're willing to go through the troubles. Yes? But where does the joy come into this? <laughs> we need more, if we're going to understand, we need some how and some why, and maybe mostly we need some when. A section of Paul's letter to the Romans, I think this will help us a lot. Listen to what he wrote to them. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So suffering in a believer produces 
endurance. We learn to make it, to keep at it. Just like sunlight in an apple produces sweetness, what James called steadfastness. And Paul says that when endurance has its full effect, it produces Christ-like character in us. And so verses 1 and 2, they tell us that since we are justified by grace, we can have peace in the midst of suffering. That's the first section there. But then the other part, what we call verses 3 to 5, they show us that we can have joy in suffering. They show us why we can have joy in suffering. And the ultimate why, which, by the way, is also the ultimate win. Did you hear that, Paul? Did you catch it? Peter's explanation for some people seems a bit clear. In fact, he starts and ends with it. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. I think he's excited. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you have not, though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. That's the ultimate why. That's the ultimate win. But go back up there a little in this you rejoice because you're going through these trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith may be found to result in praise and glory and honor. That praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ, yes, is for Jesus, but it's also for you. That's where God heaps it on you, we who don't deserve it. <laughs> but through Jesus, we get it. It's amazing, amazing, amazing. So Peter starts and ends with the wonder, the amazing truth of our salvation. We rejoice because we know where we're going in spite of the suffering. We rejoice in the suffering because we know that these troubles purify us. I mean, did you catch what he meant by tested? Gold is tested in the fire. Why do you put gold in a hot fire so that it melts and... Yeah, that's how it's purified. It goes through a tremendous trial, a tremendous test to get purified. Do you want to be purified? Do we want to be perfect? That's how come we rejoice. We know we are being purified. And don't, don't forget the end goal. The suffering will result in praise and glory and honor in our eternal life. So, Paul said, rejoice in the Lord. Always, again, I say, rejoice. He says, rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. All the time, rejoice in the Lord. Joy is letting go completely and letting go. So, like love, it's first not a feeling, but an action. It is not defending yourself against troubles, but trusting that God will. 
Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come, but when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also, you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. And your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. But today, Jesus told them, Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive that your joy may be full. Trouble. A lot like hot weather. <laughs> are you milk? Or are you an apple? Can you have joy just because you get to be with Jesus? When the world rejoices in evil, can you see through the pain to the joy beyond? Can you even despise the suffering and the shame like Jesus on the cross? Does the fruit of the Spirit flow out of you? Even if you suffer with Christ? Even then? What's your salvation worth to you? And maybe sometimes is your grief a godly grief that leads to repentance, you know, when you kind of need to do that? (laughs) But mostly, do your trials produce steadfastness. You have peace knowing your great hope. Suffering to endurance. Endurance to godly character. Godly character to an assurance of our eternal hope. Joy. Born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus to our resurrection (laughs) when Jesus is revealed in all his glory. So ask when there are troubles and you will receive that your joy may be full. Father, thank you. Joy is such an amazing thought that you could give us joy and we can exhibit it in the middle of horrible circumstances sometimes and the examples that you gave us in the Scripture, the Old Testament ones that the Hebrew writers wrote, but also the examples of, of the people that wrote the New Testament. Paul's writing to Timothy in his second letter to Timothy. He was going to die, and yet the joy in his voice is unmistakable. don't know if we could ever be a Paul. <laughs> don't know if we could rejoice like Peter and John did when they were beat for Jesus because they just thought it was so amazing they could suffer a little bit like Jesus did. I don't know if we're that far along in our path ask that you help us to see the joy in the middle of the worst things that happen. And the troubles seem, well, don't just seem, they are more than we can manage. And we need your help. Whether it's through another, one of your children or someone else or through you directly, we need you. Help us to nevertheless see the joy and endure the suffering knowing what it does for us. How it purifies us. Thank you that we have a chance to be purified. 
and that you care for us so much that you will orchestrate everything in our lives to bring us to that point. One day, when you bring us home, we will truly be 100% thoroughly and absolutely purified for you and our joy will never, ever end. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.